I'm Jessie Aredia, and you're listening to Soul Care for the New Mom, a podcast designed with new moms in mind, where we talk about what it looks like to thrive in motherhood as the free, confident, joy-filled women God has called us to be. So today I want to talk about suffering in a really honest, super candid sort of way. Um, I don't want to pretend that I am any sort of expert on the subject of suffering and I know that times of suffering in my life might be so minuscule compared to others but I want you to know that this episode isn't about comparing our stories like who's suffering the most or who's experienced the most pain. Really, I just want this episode to point us all back to God and In doing so, I'm choosing to share parts of my story that I haven't really shared much before. Um, And the reason why I want to share it is because it's been weighing on my heart that I'm not the only one who's experienced these sorts of things. I'm not the only one who's experienced suffering and has even wrestled with God because of it. So if you are in a painful season right now, I hope that this episode brings comfort to you. Um, If you are even just in somewhat of a dry season, I hope that this episode is able to somehow breathe life back into you. And maybe if you were in a really great season, I hope that this episode can help you reflect on past seasons where maybe things weren't so great. And no matter what, no matter what season you're in or where you're at, whether or not, you know, you feel like you're experiencing suffering or not, I want you to walk away being able to believe just a little bit more deeply in God's love for you and in his good plan for your life. So with all that being said, I've been thinking a lot about my past lately. My stepdad, um, he's really the only dad I've ever known, just got home from rehab. And having him gone, having him even leave, you know, to go to rehab has brought up a lot of memories that I haven't thought much about these past few years. Um, Memories of some really tough seasons in my life where I would say that I was suffering. Um, My whole family was suffering. These were times where I was angry at God and I didn't understand the purpose of what was happening. But looking back on those things now, I can see so clearly how present he was through it all. At the time, it was scary and lonely, and it caused me to doubt whether he really does work all things for the good, but I think that that's typical sometimes for us, isn't it? It's typical for us to be able to see God's goodness and his blessings more so after the fact than while we're in it, um, if you know what I mean. Like, like It's almost like our pain and our emotions can be so heavy at times that It's almost like there are blinders put up where all we can see is what's right in front of us and nothing makes sense and it feels like there's no way out. This will never get better. This will never end. Um, You know, and that's, that's where I've been, you know, in past times in my life. I was listening to a podcast episode recently. It was the She Reads Truth podcast and they were talking about the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, which is what I've actually been reading this past month. And One of the things that they kept repeating was how suffering and God's kindness are not mutually exclusive. 
Um, There's this verse, in fact, in Genesis chapter 39, where Joseph was literally in prison. He was thrown in this dungeon for something that he didn't even do. And it says that God was with him and showed him kindness there. But I'm sure that for Joseph, nothing about where he was or what he was going through felt very kind. And you know, even though I've never been in that kind of situation, I've certainly had times in my life where God did not feel kind. And even still, his presence and his kindness were there. Later on in Genesis, we do see that God did use all of Joseph's suffering, um, his being betrayed, being sold into slavery by his brothers, getting put into prison for something he didn't even do, and then being forgotten while he was down there. God used it all. It eventually put Joseph into a position of power where he got to save his family from famine, um, which we now know includes the brother Judah, whose line Jesus eventually came from, which is super cool. Um, He got to save their lives and he got to forgive them and have this really powerful, redemptive moment with them. Not to mention that he also saved the rest of Egypt from famine as well. So with all of that, you know, being said, being able to look at where he was at the time and then what happened later. Yeah, I would agree that suffering and blessing are not mutually exclusive, but sometimes it just takes some time for the blessing to be fully seen and realized. You know, sometimes it takes time for praise to come out of the pain. And although I'm sure we'd all much rather see God's kindness and blessing from the get-go versus having to walk a little blindly through our suffering at times, I don't think that that minimizes the goodness and kindness of God that is working behind the scenes. You know, I mentioned my dad earlier. Um, He was away for a couple of weeks in rehab, just got home recently, like I said, and it brought up some old memories Um, I don't talk about my upbringing or my family life prior to getting married all that much, mostly because I love my parents, I have a good relationship with them now, and I don't want to say things that could hurt them or reflect poorly on them. But if I'm being really honest, I've had times of suffering in my life, and one of the biggest ones involves my family. Um, And I don't think now is the time to go into full detail, but... I do feel like there's a side to this story, my story, that's never been shared really and it revolves around choices that other people, specifically my dad, has made, serious situations that my family has walked through Um, and that that all took place during my junior year of college. Um, On the first day of classes my junior year while I was at school, I received some news that at the time seemed really life-shattering. Um, That day over the phone, I was told that I can't go home, that my mom had packed me some bags that were waiting for me at my grandparents and that I would have to stay there. I would have to go right there as soon as I got out of class. And I didn't know what was going on, like at all. Um, I didn't know the full story. I had no idea what had happened. Reception was spotty in the building that I was in. So even though my mom had talked to me about it over the phone, I really did not catch anything that she said. I just knew that I couldn't go home and something was wrong. So I thought, okay, maybe my mom and dad got in some fight, whatever. You know, they've done that before. It'll be okay. But as soon as I walked in the door of my grandparents' house, I knew something was off. I knew something was really wrong. 
my duffel bag was there, but it was just a bunch of random stuff thrown in. Like, she didn't even really think about what she was packing. There were no PJs. I had no deodorant. I think she forgot my laptop charger. Um, and my mom wasn't there, so I was even more confused. And I'm just wondering, like, what on earth is going on? And that's when my grandparents sat me down and told me what had happened earlier that day. And I, I was I was speechless. I had no idea of what to say, what to do. I'm just thinking, what? My dad did what? I, I really was so confused and I was afraid. And that next week was spent with me not knowing if I was ever going to see him again. Um, and having to just go to class and to work like everything was normal when really nothing was normal. And I didn't know if it ever would be. The week after that, on my 20th birthday, my mom and I moved into our new two-bedroom apartment. Um, I actually never got to sleep in my old room back at the house that I had grown up in again. Um, We had just left and I never got to go back. And now here we were on our own um, and my dad was living somewhere else and I tried to treat it like some new adventure for her and I, but really it was confusing and gut-wrenching. And when I think back on times of suffering in my life, this is one of the biggest ones. This is the one that I immediately think back to because my family was torn apart, was torn apart overnight as a result of addiction that led to a terrible decision. And it didn't just hurt my mom, it hurt me because it reopened these wounds that I had um, regarding my dad. You know, I didn't have a great relationship with him and Um, you know, even though he was my stepdad, he was the only dad I ever knew. I never met my birth father. So he was what I had. And because our relationship wasn't all that great, this in some ways affected my relationship with God and my ability to see God as a good father even. So when my family was torn apart while we were in this season of suffering, I did not see God's goodness and kindness. When my dad was calling me at five in the morning crying the week after we had moved out without so much as a goodbye, I did not see God's goodness and kindness. When I had to listen to my mom cry herself to sleep in our new apartment, I did not see God's goodness and kindness. And as I watched the rest of the world carry on so oblivious to what my family was going through, I did not see God's goodness and kindness. And yet, and yet... His kindness was still there because suffering and his kindness are not mutually exclusive. It would take months before my family began to be reunited and even longer for my trust to be rebuilt. But all through that time, God was pouring kindness out over us because my pain led me to counseling for the first time, which set me on this course to emotional wellness Um, You know, it wasn't a quick fix, but I needed to start somewhere. And so that was a really big deal for me. Um, God was pouring kindness out over us as I watched my parents reunite. You know, seeing my mom forgive my dad for something that I think most of the world would think is pretty unforgivable. And that's why I'm not even talking about it. You know, I I thought it was unforgivable. Seeing my mom do that, that was what gave me hope and strength for my own future marriage. And in fact, my boyfriend, who is actually now my husband, Grant, He was there for me through it all during that season, and he ended up proposing to me in that apartment. 
And even today, when times get tough in our marriage, I am able to draw strength from knowing that there is no pain that is too deep and no mistake that is too big that can't be forgiven. Um, God was pouring kindness out over us because through this, through watching my dad make amends and start to change, I was able to see him in a new light that helped me have compassion and forgiveness for him. I had spent so long feeling bitter about all the things my dad wasn't, all the ways he had failed me growing up, and now for the first time, I felt like I was able to start accepting him for those flaws and learn from my mom's example of love. Our relationship, my my dad and I, our relationship after that season grew stronger than it had ever grown before. And a year later, he proudly walked me down the aisle as I was getting married And I was so happy that he was by my side, that we had that relationship restored. So yeah, suffering and kindness, they are not mutually exclusive. And I don't just believe that for this specific circumstance with my family, but also for so many other times of suffering in my life, like seasons of depression, seasons of self-harm, seasons of heartbreak, being mistreated and abused in my relationships. I mean, these are not the pretty parts of my story by any means, and I did not always see God's goodness and kindness in the middle of them. I mean, I remember feeling so worthless. I remember nights when I couldn't sleep, days when I didn't want to eat, moments when I questioned, what's the point of it all? But now as I stand here, where I am now, seeing this life I have created, this man who does love me, these children who are just so amazing, so beautiful, As I stand where I stand now, I know that God has for sure been pouring kindness out over me. And I feel the same when I think about you guys, when I think about this podcast and my ministry and the women I now get to work with. Postpartum for me was a time of suffering in my life too. And it feels odd to say that, but it's true. When my eldest was born and This postpartum rage came on so suddenly, made me question my worth as a mom, as a wife, when I felt physically and emotionally incapable of controlling myself. I mean, I was screaming almost daily, throwing things, breaking things, feeling repulsed by the idea of even being touched or being looked at by my husband. Those things, that time, it felt like suffering. I prayed every day for God to take my anger away, but he didn't. And I thought, God, where is your kindness? Where is your goodness? Why aren't you helping me? I didn't see it at the time. I really didn't. But now, as a woman who's overcome her anger and anxiety in a way that she didn't even think possible just a few years ago, as someone who now actually has a ministry and a business that involves helping other moms break free from their own anger and anxiety, it is so obvious now that God was pouring kindness out over me even then. It was a kindness that postpartum was such hell for me because it set me on this path toward health and freedom that now enables me to help change lives. And more importantly, it set me on a path of growing in my faith like never before and helping me get to this point of being able to truly see God as my good, loving father instead of an angry one. I think sometimes when we're in times of suffering, we just want to know why. Why is this happening? Why am I here, God? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Why aren't you doing something? It's easy to get angry at God even. And I'll be the first to admit that I used to love getting angry at God. 
it was so much easier for me to point fingers at him than to actually admit that I might be a little bit responsible for my circumstances or that there was something I could do. Um, And I also just didn't want to accept that this was just life and that some things were just out of my control. You know, I had it in my mind that I could do things so much better than God, that I could write a way better story for my life than he could because nobody really wants all this suffering. You know, we just want the happy ending. But there's the story in the book of John chapter 11 um, about Lazarus, this man who died and then was risen back to life by Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus is actually summoned to go see his friend, Lazarus, who is ill, um, is about to die. But instead of going to see him right away, Jesus waits. This is the man who is known for healing and saving lives. This is the man who's been walking around town, spreading the news about God's love and God's goodness and Um, you know, just doing all these miracles, and yet he waits to go to Lazarus. And when he finally does make it to where Lazarus and his sisters are, he's already dead. And I remember reading the story so many times and always thinking to myself, that's not right. There's no way that I would have done that. I would not have done what Jesus did. Especially when I read the part in the story about what happened next when he did arrive, because it says that when he finally did make it to Lazarus's house days later, Lazarus's sister Mary falls down at Jesus's feet and she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's weeping on the ground and scripture tells us that Jesus begins to weep too. He begins to weep with her. Now, I I knew that the story ended with Lazarus being raised back to life, but I always got stuck on this one part, this image of Mary just being completely filled with sorrow and falling to her knees before Jesus, the man who she thought was going to be there and heal her brother. I have not lost somebody in that same way. I've not gone through that kind of loss like Mary did, but Mary's reaction always resonated with me somehow because I've been there. You know, I've wanted to fall before Jesus and say, God, if you had done this differently, if you had been there sooner or intervened, then none of this suffering would have happened. I've been there. I've been in those shoes and maybe you have too. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you've walked through infertility or miscarriage. Maybe you've lost somebody you loved or you've lost a source of income or you've lost hope. Maybe you're suffering from debilitating anxiety or depression. Maybe your child just received a diagnosis or your marriage is crumbling or you're experiencing some sort of physical pain. If you are in a season of suffering right now, you might not see God's kindness in your present moment. And you might be a little angry. You might be asking questions like, where are you? Are you really here for me? Do you really care about me? And if you are, I want you to know today that that is okay. It's okay to ask those questions because it gives him a chance to answer. And his answer is not some quick, casual, yep, you betcha, I'm, I'm here, don't worry. No, it's, it's an answer that we see played out over the course of our lives, just like his kindness and his blessing if we choose to see it. Mary didn't understand the miracle she was about to witness in her dead brother's life, but Jesus did. Only Jesus knew that Mary's brother would rise again. He knew that. And the fact that he wept with her in her suffering, instead of give her that quick, oh, don't worry, I got this, don't worry, you betcha, I'm going to fix this. 
It, it might seem kind of mean that he didn't tell her what was coming, but it's not. Because after that day, every time Mary thought of her relationship with Jesus, he wasn't just the man who healed her brother and did what she wanted him to do. No, Jesus was now her friend. The one who wept with her and was there with her in her time of sorrow. That's one of the moments she probably would have carried with her for the rest of her life. I bet the fact that he was there with her in that moment, sharing in her sorrow, meant more to her later on in her life than a pat on the back or some quick reassurance would have meant. Jesus went from being some miracle man to being her best friend because he gave her what she really needed and not what she wanted. And the truth is, I didn't want those times of suffering to happen in my life. But maybe it was what I needed. Because having this deeper relationship with God and living this life of joy and freedom that I I have now, I don't know if any of that would have happened otherwise. Maybe the fact that God seemed so silent during some of those seasons of my life was part of him showing kindness too. Because it stretched my faith, it challenged my convictions, And it brought out real emotions and these real fears, these real things that needed to be dealt with. This reminds me of one more story in scripture, the passage in John chapter 18, where Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. You know, a lot of the time we hear Peter talked about as the guy who denied Jesus because he was afraid. But really, after studying and learning more about him, I, I don't think that Peter was a guy who denied Jesus out of fear. I think he was a guy who denied Jesus out of anger. I mean, Peter was a man with passion and strong convictions. He followed Jesus everywhere. He always stood behind him. He was the one who spoke up when Jesus asked his disciples if they were going to desert him. He was the one who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He was the one that Jesus rebuked and, you know, who Jesus said to get behind me, Satan, because he tried to scold Jesus for talking about how he was going to get arrested and killed. You know, he was a, he was a passionate guy. He wasn't afraid to speak up. Peter was even the guy who cut off a guard's ear when Judas and the guards came to arrest Jesus. So no, I don't think Peter was a coward. I don't think he denied Jesus out of fear. I think he denied Jesus because he was angry. So many people at this time thought that Jesus was going to become some kind of leader, that he was going to be a king and lead God's people and rescue them from Roman rule. All this time, Peter was following Jesus, willing to give up everything for him. Maybe because he thought that he was going to be the answer to all of their prayers, to all of their problems. So when Jesus just let himself be arrested and taken away and then even scolded Peter when he tried to stop it, I mean, can you imagine... What Peter might have been thinking and feeling in that moment. He had committed his life to following the man. He had put so much hope into Jesus. And now it looked like he wasn't going to do what he thought he was going to do at all. And in this moment of disbelief, maybe even anger, when it came time for him to declare his commitment to Jesus and stay faithful to him to the very end, he said, no, no, I don't know him. No, I've never known him. I've never followed him three times. Now, I don't know if I've ever really been able to relate to the story from the context of Peter being scared, but I'm telling you, I can definitely relate to the story from the context of him being mad. And what happens next also, also resonates with me. 
because after Jesus dies on the cross and word reaches Peter and John that the tomb is empty, we see in John chapter 20 that says, Peter and the other, other disciple went out heading for the tomb and the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Isn't that interesting? Like why did John outrun Peter? Was it maybe because Peter was still so upset? Or angry at his friend that he couldn't even chase after him with the same passion he once had. I've been there. Have you? But then look what happens next. Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. He is risen. He has he is victorious over death. And then in chapter 21, it says that while Peter and a few other disciples were fishing one day while out on a boat, Jesus shows up on the shore, calls to them, and this time Peter didn't waver. He actually dove into the water, swam a hundred yards to get to shore, beat all of the other disciples as they were trying to get their ship to, to get back to the shore. And there Jesus is waiting for him. And he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't shame him. He gives him an opportunity to express his commitment and keep building this relationship. And every time Jesus asks, Peter responds, Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, you know I love you. You know I do, God. Yes, I do. You might be in a season of suffering right now. You might not see the kindness of God in this moment. You might not want to be running full force after Jesus. Maybe you're angry or you just have a lot of questions and you aren't quite sure of what you're feeling. But whether you're like Peter as he was headed for the tomb, taking his time, or if you're like Peter as he's jumping into the water, swimming with all of his might, whether you are fully trusting in God's goodness and timing, or whether you're like Mary, falling at Jesus' feet saying, if you had been here, this would not have happened. I want you to know that wherever you are right now, it's okay. And I want to encourage you, don't stop pursuing him. Bring your hard questions. Let your anger drive you even closer to his heart. Ask him to show you where his kindness is. And don't be surprised if asking him these things and having these conversations leads you right back to the cross. Because I think that's where we're able to see things from a totally different perspective. In a letter that Peter wrote later on in 1 Peter chapter 2, he talks about suffering. Um, He talks about the suffering of believers, but also the suffering of Christ. And I want to end today's episode by reading this passage to you guys from the message translation. Starting in verse 21, it says, This is the kind of life you've been invited into. The kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong, not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. You were lost sheep with no idea of who you were or where you were going, but now you're named and kept for good by the shepherd of your souls. I don't know about you, friend, but I have called myself so many names over the years. 
abandoned, unwanted, misunderstood, worthless, failure, victim, monster. The truth is some of my suffering in the past was self-inflicted by my own judgments of who I am and whether or not I'm really worthy of love. But praise God for his loving kindness, for sending us all a savior who would take on all of our sin, all of our shame, and offer us freedom. His wounds are our healing, and that is the greatest kindness of all. Thank you, Lord.